Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Paul Lynch, CEO at Chargeify. In this episode with Paul as a venture partner at Scaleworks, we talked about their focus on investing in companies and operating them to drive growth, how they decide which companies to invest in, and the enormous impact churn and retention has on making their investment decisions. We also discussed how Chargeify sets targets and the metrics they need to focus on, why a data analyst should be one of your first hires or not, and lastly, is there such a thing as acceptable churn? As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael. And here's today's episode. Hey, Paul, welcome to the show. Andrew, thank you for having me on. It's great to have you. For the listeners, Paul is the CEO of Chargeify, a billing and subscription management platform built specifically for modern B2B SaaS businesses. Paul is also a venture partner at Scaleworks who invest in and operate B2B SaaS companies. And Paul started out his career in sales and then moved on to hold CEO roles in another, in another nine in Assembler. So my first question for you, Paul, is, What's it like not only investing in companies, but then moving in and operating them too? Why have you chosen this model? Great question. And again, Andrew, thanks for having me on. From a scale works and from an investor perspective, we saw and we see a, a huge amount of value in the market that's undertapped. By that, the businesses that we look at from a scale works perspective, typically they're doing between sort of three and nine million dollars in revenue, founder led, they're mature companies um, with a strong focus on product. So we want to operate those businesses. We feel these are businesses that have built very strong products, but for whatever reason, they really haven't been able to, to scale or, or get these businesses going very strongly. Why do we choose three to nine million dollars? We choose this revenue range because if you're five to eight years old and you haven't got above three million dollars, venture capital is not going to want to know you. If you haven't hockey sticked after five, eight years, you're probably not going to. And if you're below 10 million, then private equity doesn't really want to know you because getting meaningful distributions and dividends out of businesses like that is very difficult because it's small. So we go in, we have our own thesis around how we should run businesses. Typically, we invest strongly in sales and marketing. We take these very strong products, we optimize them, we get the sales and marketing engine running, and we start to grow them. What is it like? I think these kind of founders, they're looking very often for exits after eight years from a business that they felt on their first raise was going to be you know, a billion-dollar unicorn. And, and now eight years in, they realize that 
something hasn't clicked for them. Very difficult to put your finger on it as the founder CEO and they say, what? It's an old adage. And I'm not saying eight years is quick, but fail often, but fail quickly. These guys want to move on to do something else. They're not going to get the exit that they had expected. We come in, give fair market, uh, take those businesses. We put our own people in, we operate them, we get sales and marketing going. And that's that, that effectively is the model. And how many are you deals like this? Are you typically doing at a time? Is it really like just acquire one and then really focus double down on that? Or are there multiple companies like as a venture firm? Well, I mean, there's been two funds. Like, as I said, I'm not a general partner within, within, within Scaleworks on Venture, but across those two funds, there's about $150 million raised they've done in the region of I think 16 or 17 acquisitions, of which like eight or nine primaries. I would have gotten involved with them. Early on, when they acquired Assembler, which was the sort of first acquisition in Fund One, I came in to lead it, and we we successfully grew that business over like three hundred percent, just under three hundred percent over three years, and we then successfully exited that to a business out of Houston called Idira, that's backed by HGGC Capital, and they bought us as part of a stack rollup. And they, they, we were the, the fifth of the sixth acquisitions they'd done that year. So it's busy. We're always looking for add-ons. We're always looking for additional sort of acquisitions, which can add value to any of the portfolio businesses. The likes of Assembler, post the acquisition of Assembler, we would have acquired MyGet and we would have acquired Cornerstone. One of them being a desktop management tool for a source code, one of them being a codependency pad tool. Um, in Chargeify, we acquired ProRata, which was a RevRec. Yeah, the model is, it's a growth model. We are not investors, more so we are acquirers, but we are, we are, we're acquirers for growth. We're not acquirers from a traditional private equity perspective where we're happy to buy businesses and then squeeze out our, our model through dividends. No, every penny generated in any of these businesses, if they're running uh, at a profitable level, gets reinvested back in there. Very interesting, very interesting. So you obviously then have uh, a quite an interesting perspective, I think, when it comes to churn and retention as well, because you're not looking at these businesses like from a typical investor hat on where it's okay, I'm just going to put the money in and then let the founders figure this out and make things happen. You really need to come in and make things happen and make these changes. How are you evaluating these businesses going into them? Like how did the decision process go and like how much does churn and retention impact the decision on the businesses that you uh, work with? Enormously in, in answer to the second part of that question. But as I've always sort of maintained that there is no magic number around churn. There is no wand that you can wave. Yeah, we like to run our businesses like all businesses need to be run to KPIs, to goals, to milestones. And to do that, there needs to be a goal around what your churn number should be. But you know that is different in every business you're going to require across every single target market or category. Your customer, is it a B2B tool? Is it a B2C tool? What does the category look like? Is it a heavily populated category? Is there a lot of competition? Are you a substitute product? Can you be easily substituted and, and replaced? All of these things have, like, before you get into hiring or hierarchies or org structures or anything else, just start, you need to understand that. I mean, yeah. what is the cost of acquisition of new customers? Like, I look at the likes of, say, moving out of the SaaS space for a second, DigitalOcean, going back eight or nine years ago, this was, a, this was a, in the hosting space, low-value containerized hosting. I mean, that market was like to say that it was under pressure from Amazon Web Services is the understatement of the generation. Basically, they were coming in snowplow. yet DigitalOcean were doing really well because although they had enormously high churn, their cost of new acquisition was so low, they were replacing it and continuing to grow. 
all of these factors need to be taken into consideration before you can before you can really get into the nitty-gritty around what that should look like and how you should model it. From an acquisition perspective, if we're looking, let's take a use case here so we can we can pin it down a little bit more. Yeah. If we're looking at a B2B tool, um, let's take Chargeify, a B2B tool in the financial service, the fintech sector which is heavily embedded into the stack, is based on integrations. Uh, and by integrations, not a point tool, but into your sales forces of the world, your hub spots of the world, et cetera, et cetera. Should churn in this be like a couple of percent a month? Is this a substitute product? What is the cost to acquire new customers? What does the sales motion look like? The short answer is this should be a sticky tool. Chargeify yeah. is a sticky tool. We have very low churn in this business because we're right in the center of every stack. We're looking at a case-by-case basis, should this be a sticky tool? If it's a sticky tool, then there should be low churn. That should be sub 1%. When you're getting into less stickier tools where there's high competition and there's the high potential to substitute, then maybe you'll allow it stray upwards a little bit towards a 2% mark. But if you are going to do that, then at the same time, you need to look at what your cost of acquisition is per new customers. Because if, if you're happy churning at 24% of your business on an annual basis and patting yourself on the back if you beat that and your cost of acquisition is high, then very quickly you're going to be in trouble as a business. Very yeah. quickly. You've got to be acquiring more than you're churning out. On retention, NROR, no retention rate, absolutely crucial. Is ROR at 100% or above? What should that be? Strong businesses with strong growth motions should be looking at well over 100% in terms of their net retention rate. On a month. That's what we would look for. Yeah. So. You hit on a lot of points now as well. I think the whole premise of the show as well, uh, in the sense that there is no silver bullets. Like I never, ever talk about metrics and benchmarks. And for this specific reason, because every business is different. Every business is unique. And I've had feedback on the shows. They're like, why don't you press them? Why don't you ask them all? And because it's meaningless for your business. You need to understand your customers. You need to understand your space. You need to understand like your customer acquisition costs and figure out like what's a good target for you because hearing other people's and other companies' benchmarks is just going to set you off on the wrong track. And in some cases, you might be undervaluing or you might be overvaluing. Uh, You're so correct. But don't don't get me wrong. I mean, efficient organizations are run to goals, to KPIs, to milestones. There's processes, there's workflows that need to be adhered to. So just because it's very difficult to manage this out and to measure what it should be does not mean you shouldn't have have a horizon in terms of what you're working towards. Not Like people need to know what they're like staff at every level of the company, be you a CEO reporting into a board or be you a junior customer success manager reporting into a manager, makes no difference. Like for organizations to be successful, the individual contributors, the employees, the management team need to know what they're accountable for. And that accountability needs to be, to me, at a churn level measured as a percentage of install base that churns out on a monthly basis. The magic is getting to the right number. (laughs) <laughs> That's what I want to chat about now. Let's talk about the magic. So we just said that, okay, it's very difficult to look at benchmarks, very difficult to say, okay, like this is the right number. How do you then go about figuring out like what you should set your targets at and what you can and can't improve when it comes to churn at your business? So how would you go now into let's, the latest company maybe Chargeify? Like how are you going about setting the targets for the team? What are benchmarks you're setting internally? So we don't do anything groundbreaking here that you're not going to hear from anybody else, Andrew. Like, I mean, we have always traditionally based it in terms of previous year's performance. We look at it from a we look at it from an investment perspective that's going into the individual customer success organization. And then we try to evolve that organization over time. Obviously, just like sales uh, or just like marketing, if you're going to be investing more money in this and you're going to be increasing CAC, 
then you want to be seeing higher sales numbers and acquisition numbers coming back in. Same applies with customer success, technical support, onboarding, et cetera, et cetera. If there's more investment coming in there than there needs to be, the checks and balances need to happen on the other side as well. You need to see a decrease in terms of churn. We're very tight. This is a key unit metric within our unit economics that we measure, right? Like we meet week, I'm in weekly meetings as far as this is concerned. And as I said, I'm not going to get into the unit economics here and the specific metrics that we have, but they're low. Yet I'm still in every, I'm still in the meeting on a weekly basis to make sure they remain there. Like the old adage of winning a new customer is 22 times more expensive than retaining an existing one. That's true. Everyone that's, you've operated businesses, Andrew, you understand that. It's hard. <laughs> it's 10 times easier. Uh, or 22 times easier to just innovate design and, and manage your existing customer base, treat them with respect, don't try to gauge them, than it is to go out and win new ones. The magic details, right? So set your number, be it say 1%, right? Don't wash your hands of it. This is the most one of the most important things you're going to do as the CEO of any business, as the founder of any business, is keep your customers happy. They are your best salespeople. When you have large sort of churn in your business that's visible, there are that that is a symptom of, of an underlying illness in your business that if it isn't rectified, it will destroy you. Um, because they will go into the market, um, they won't be advocates, they won't be promoters. Measure your NPS, net promoter score. Understand why, take the verbatims. Why are businesses churning out from underneath you? What are you doing wrong? Again, understand, like I, when I talk about Pricing and and churn marries very close to pricing as a lever. You, you know, know what value you're delivering into your install base. Know what problem you're solving. So know your value, know your customer, and know your competitor. All three of those things. Then you can set realistic kind of metrics. If you're changing an investment cycle, if you're going to bring on a dedicated onboarding team, if you're going to look to separate customer success or bring strategic customer success in or set targets around install base growth, Look at technical support by take that out. Every time you invest in in your 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 customer success or your retention functions, then understand that there has to be a balance on the other side here. What is this going to do to my prevailing churn rates within my business? What is it going to do to my retention rates? What's it going to do with my install base growth rates and new acquisition in the install base? If that's a thing, that needs to change your measurement metrics. That's very interesting. So when you're looking at budgets, then you're saying, okay, on the yearly basis, we want to decrease churn by X percent. This will bring us X percent in revenue. We can afford to invest X into customer success or sales. And we expect yeah. to see a return on that in terms of the churn uh, number going down as a result. That's how you're measuring it? Yes. Yeah. 100%. Very interesting. I also strongly agree with you what you're saying as well. Like when it comes to subscription businesses, like the, the whole name, it's in its name. It's like a subscription business. If you're not able to keep people happy and you're not able to keep their subscription, you essentially don't really have a business. So uh, I think it's like core. It's For me, it's the number one metric. Obviously, this, this show is called Chert FM, but it is yeah. core to central to running like a successful SaaS business. And one thing you actually mentioned, which is quite interesting, it reminded me of an episode we recorded with Emmerich Erno um, from Avora Pulse. And okay. similarly, like they were trying to figure out for them which, like what should be the target for the team when it comes to reducing churn. And they'd run a quite interesting exercise where they said, okay, let's look at our churn exit surveys. Let's see what are the main reasons that are coming through. And let's exclude the reasons that are outside of our for example like we went out of business because they deal heavily with smbs is not something that they're within their control to fix they're not going to save that business from going out of business and that essentially what it allowed them to do is said okay like whatever the number was let's just arbitrary number was 50 percent because it's obviously not 50 percent and we want to reduce it by just 10 percent instead of saying a random number now they said okay wait a second like 
50% of our churn comes from businesses churning. So we only have effectively 25% that we can within our control to fix. And then they set a target based off of that. It was a little bit more realistic rather than just trying to bring the whole number down. They said, okay, which segment of this can we have an impact on as a team? And then what are the initiatives that we can do to drive that back? And I thought it was also another interesting way to look at like how you go about setting targets when it comes to reducing churn. I don't know what you think about that. I, I, I Again, I, I love it. First, I'm not sure that it's right for every business, but like, I bring it back to know your customer, know your value, value yourself, your customer, know your competitor, understand, get into the nitty gritty, understand what your business is. And clearly these guys have done a bit of work around their business and they've looked at their churn verbatims and they've said, okay, so, you know, these businesses are going out of business. So it's not in our power to retain them. Like, makes sense okay you want to have the highest impact you can with the limited resources which we have in our businesses the challenge i would put to them is a broader kind of challenge which is why are they going out of business why is there a large uh, part of your install base that's going out of business is your target market or is your target market broad enough or is your geographic reach broad we have customers this is a I think at last count, correct me if I'm wrong too, but it's something like 193 sovereign stakes on planet Earth. I think at last count, uh, Assembler had 154 of those countries with customers in it. Okay? That's a broad geographic reach. If there's yeah. an economic downturn in North America owing to the COVID pandemic, et cetera, et cetera, and all your customers are in North America, then it stands for reason that you're going to have an economic impact on your install base. You know, I know. Sorry, COVID nineteen is a terrible example here because it's, it's a global. Yeah, market. it's a global thing. You, 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 you know, you know what I mean. Certain yeah. countries are going to be hit harder. The, a housing crisis in Asia, a, a banking crisis in in the UK and Ireland. Where are your customers, and why are they going out of business? Also, if you look at churn up by by logo numbers, churn by actual revenue. What's the concentration of your top ten, your top three, your top five, your top ten customers in your install base? Yeah. I looked at a, at a data center business some years ago with a view to acquire in a different organization and 85% of their revenue was tied up with one customer. That customer was on a rolling three-year contract of which we were 18 months into it. It's a non-acquirable business. Yeah. Exactly. So understand that. So yes, there are certain things you impact. You can't impact the end customer in terms of their ability to remain solvent. What you can impact though is you can mitigate that by looking at the total number of customers you have across industry and across geographic region to, 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 to alleviate that kind of potential risk entering your install base. Yeah, absolutely. I think like you pointed out, it's very much to do with who your audience is. I think in Aurora Pulse's case, like they deal a lot with very small businesses and SMBs as well. So I think it just becomes the nature of the game as well to that extent when you're building a product for that audience. But ultimately you have the option to go upstream, but it does it work for your product or service. I think you need to figure that out. So it's 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 it, again. There's no there's no magic wand. As we keep going back to, there are certain churn mitigation tactics that you can have in a business like that. Twenty four like the contracts have a contract in place. There, like if your customers are going out of business, that's your issue. Then see if you can drive in advance payments. So at least you're covering over, say, a twelve month fiscal period. When you, by getting paid in advance, you're, you're not seeing you're not seeing that Same. that kind of churn and impact upfront costs, like in terms of onboarding costs. Right, nobody likes onboarding costs. But like introducing onboarding costs into your into your organization, in many ways makes your prospect or your customer put some skin in the game because they're paying in advance to get onboarded into you, so they're going to have a higher perceived value there. These are all kind of techniques, but you can move away from understanding the value that you're delivering 
if you deliver value in, in, into your customer base, and if your customer base is, is relevantly distributed across geographic region and industry and fiscal size, then you should be able to mitigate these by delivering value. Understand yeah. that. Saying that those all listening is on now, there is actually one single metric that you need to focus on and that's value, delivering value and figuring that out for your customers. Like the closer you can yes. get to that. We've also had some interesting episodes on this. I think one of the ones I really loved was from GoDaddy and how they went about measuring value was they had a site builder. It, originally, I think they were measuring like the number of installs or the number of people setting things up. And eventually what they realized is, wait a second, like people don't come to us to create websites. They come to us if they're a hairdressing salon to get bookings, if they're a restaurant to get orders, if they're uh, an e-commerce store to drive sales. And we have this data, we can measure this. And this is what's value to them is actually making those bookings, getting those deals. And then they switch their metrics to really try and see, okay, how can we drive our customers to get to the end value that they want? And then reverse engineer, okay, what are the steps of our successful customers taking to get there? How did they get there? And it's really interesting. I don't think all businesses have the luxury to understand that value or to be able to measure that value. But the closer you can get to measuring that, I think that is like definitely the holy grail when it comes to metrics. Tools, like good tools coming into the market, like or, that are in the market. And so look at, say, Pendo and product adoption as you're releasing features across your platform. What, what are customers using you for? Yeah. You no. Know, you're spending development cycles building out a specific tool that does X, Y. You build it, you release it, you do a press release, TechCrunch, run it, everyone applauds themselves, you have a couple of beers and smoke a cigar, and then no one follows up in terms of what the adoption is. But that's very common because it's businesses that aren't looking to bring data and insight into their organization. It's lazy. And it's, we don't have time for that. Anecdotally, I know that this is this is what I want because I talk to my, because my customers have told me that. No. Five very vocal customers out of an install base of a thousand customers and told you they wanted it. But this is what you're hearing, but you're not measuring what the adoption is like. So you're not really understanding the value and how your application is being used by your customers. Yeah. Like day to day to day to day to day. Segment. I was being interviewed recently and it was like, at what point in time do you bring a data analyst into, into your organization? I'm like, it's your first hire. Really? It's, that's, it's such a crucial, having the underlying... That that it, they this is the insight in terms of the building blocks. Why would you bother building a house if you didn't have plans? First thing you do isn't grab a builder and get him to start digging a hole and putting you know concrete in it with a view to a foundation and start throwing bricks on it. No, yeah. you go to an architect, you get plans for the house, and you start working. That's what your analyst did. I had this viewpoint earlier on in my career. I thought like data was the most important thing getting started, and I have a different perspective on this now from you. Definitely, is seeing like in my previous companies, like we had raised some capital from investors. Like they're all about metrics, like having the data, having it available. And I spent time like to have this perfect stack and be able to tell you install rates, like conversions, like attribution, like everything beautifully set up and spend way too much time obsessing over numbers and instead of speaking to customers. And I think like joining Hotjar, I was actually super surprised where, was what was a relatively like successful company already at the time. And they like didn't use data at all. Like I was shocked. I came in and I was like, like, we're flying blind. What's everybody doing? Like we don't have the numbers available and they just knew their customer extremely well, like just obsessed over speaking to customers. 
and I have a different opinion now on this, like this time around as well, like just spending as much time speaking to customers like data. I honestly, I believe it's super, super important. I headed up business intelligence at Hotjar and was a huge advocate for it. But I think early on in a company, like you're way better, like getting that qualitative feedback. That's going to tell you a lot more than in the early days when you don't have enough data, you don't have the signals that they're going to give you. And it's going to be able to inform the decisions and you end up making like decisions backed off of like, data that's not mature enough to, I think, to take actions on. When I'm saying hire an analyst yeah. in terms of first, and I'm not suggesting, like, God, good, good Lord, no. This is not an idea. Well, one, there is no substitute to talking to your customers. Always talk to your customers. I talk yeah. to my customers. When we have new customers coming on, we have executive sponsors as part of the onboarding process where we talked, how was your experience going? What did you find here that you had expected to find that didn't? What surprised you? What surprised you positively and negatively? Like, I love those calls. You know what I mean? Like there, there is, you got to talk to your customers. So this is not an either or in any shape or form, right? Also like uh, uh, this whole paralysis by analysis kind of thing in smaller businesses, it's a disaster. Like you go to the 22 immutable laws of marketing. It's never the product that's the most, uh, the best product that wins. Ultimately, it's the one that was first to market and captured market share. So don't wait around for your analytics to tell you when you should launch. Get an MVP into the market, get customers use it, talk to them, right? On that data there, I'm talking about when you are getting leads in, measure them, see where they're coming from, understand what your pipeline looks like, all of these different things. I, I don't believe you can win by just being on the right side with, with, with no analysts in there and no data being generated or, or and yeah. no insight being driven or on the left-hand side with just database and not talking to customers, not understanding verbatims, not understanding market trends. There's a marriage in there. which You need to have the what and the why. Yeah, exactly. you need to have the what and the why. No, for sure. I think this, for me, in my opinion, is also one of the mistakes a lot of companies make is where they have user research and data analysis or like business intelligence in separate teams. And I think they really need to be working a lot closer. And I think more and more companies are realizing this, that qualitative and quantitative research like works well together. They should be married together and informing each other's uh, work. And there's checks and balances here as well, just to finish off on the point, don't forget. So you'll find certain founders will they'll have a cognitive bias towards moving in a different direction and they'll ask the wrong question. So they will talk to their customers, but they'll say, Wonder, don't you think it's a great idea that I would build that Gantt charts as part of my application? I think that'd be a great idea. There you go, this customer validation. Let's go build a whole lot of Gantt charts. Yeah. But let's never measure the adoption of those Gantt charts. <laughs> No, yeah, I, I agree on that. It's super important to understand your own internal biases when doing like qualitative research, not to ask leading questions. I made every mistake in the book myself. I'm trying not oh, to avoid I, only, I, like, I, I say this from experience and yeah. I'm not going to get into this, but Gantt charts is a perfect example. Yeah. <laughs> Let's build no, them. Everyone wants them. Nobody's going to use them. Exactly. Cool. So I see we're actually running up on time. So I want to save time for the two questions I ask every guest. First question is, let's imagine a hypothetical scenario, which for you is probably not super hypothetical, but you arrive at a new company and um, churn and retention is not doing so great. And the CEO comes to you and says, uh, hey, like, Paul, we really need to turn things around now. We have 90 days. You're in charge. My question to you is, what are you going to do? But the catch is, you're not going to tell me you're going to go speak to customers and figure out what the biggest pain points are and then going to solve that. You're going to pick one thing from your experience that you've used that's worked in the past to reduce churn and you're going to run with that blindly. What would it be? Building out a true customer success function. Okay. I always see, I, I see, I've seen different kind of thematic areas of theme across different businesses. Is it a complex onboarding process? Are we losing a lot of 
churn during the onboarding process? You know, is there a product or feature issue technically within the, the, the product or platform that has been met by a competitor and we're now having customers substitute out? The one thing that you can never fail on is by building a true customer success, okay? And by customer success, like that is driving the success of your customer from your platform, talking to them and understanding what, are, are they using the value levers that you're delivering them on the platform? So like often people mistake customer success and use it as a broad term for what client services is. Yeah. Um, it's a, For me, it's a subcomponent of a proper customer support client services team. You have an onboarding team, you have a technical support team. Uh, that it feeds into your engineering function and fixes your bugs. And you have a customer success team. And under customer success, you have strategic account managers and you have install-based growth professionals. That's where people fall. That's where companies fall down. And it also plays more into net retention rate than it does that. Invest in that area. Don't yeah, hire more so. and more product leaders. Don't hire more and more technical support product experts. Hire customer success guys. That can, that can really engage and become consultants internally for the customer. They're champions. I know a lot of our listeners are going to love that response. So a last yeah. question then. What's one thing that you know about churn and retention today that you wish you knew when you got started with your career? That's a really good question. That's a, so I think... The, 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 I think, okay, so a couple of things here, right? I, I need to give you one thought-provoking on my side. I've been across multiple different industries and within those different industries and, and different kind of companies inside those industries, the reasons for a churn are different. I'm tempted to say something along the lines of like, you know, understand, you got to understand that like when you operate businesses, churn is always a factor. You know what I mean? So there's always going to be churn in terms of your install base. So you need to set realistic goals and expectations. But I, I, I don't really want to say that. What is the one thing that I wish I knew about churn? So I'm going to refer it back into what I said a minute ago around customer success. I'm going to say that net retention rate, can't, like you can't decouple it away from churn. No company wants to churn customers out. Okay, so if you have motions within your client services team that allows you to expand your install base and you're showing growth in it, then that's a metric that you should really measure and, and be, if, if it's growing because you're, you have a strong customer success function, that's a key one to measure for me, right? There are certain, like you made a mention earlier, like that there is going up market, okay? If, if you look to take a product up market, there's going to be inevitable churn in that business. Okay? Because you're moving your motion, you're moving the support structures that you have had from a prevailing perspective. If I have a product that I'm, today I'm charging $2 on and I then invest $10 million in the product and make it 10 times better and I start charging $100 on, there is an inevitable amount of churn that's going to happen there because you're, you're pivoting and moving away. Right. So understand what that revenue net retention rate looks like as well as your churn. Is it a right sizing of your business or is it actual churn? Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Especially when you're making big moves like that, like net MRR retention, it's a really powerful measure to understand like how effective your business is and how effective the engine is that you're uh, building beneath it. So, uh, but you can see churn increase exponentially within the same business, but that business is always grow exponentially at the same time, you yeah. know? And doing better as well in terms of profitability and uh, revenue. Exactly. So if you look just at the churn line and you see it increasing, you can feel that your business is in crisis. But when you take a step back and you look at the net retention rate and the growth of revenue within the install base, then you understand the business is doing well. And this is an adjustment. This is a movement and an adjustment in terms of what the business is doing. 
moved away from being a low-end a low-end B2C provider within the XYZ space. We're now a mid-market enterprise provider in the B2B space. And our business is now far more valuable. Our install base is growing at a rate that we've never seen before. Yes, churn is a symptom of this, but this is acceptable churn. Yeah, so there's such thing as acceptable churn. I think that's... Uh... No one likes churning customers, but if you're going to make movements in your business, it is an inevitability. Absolutely. Paul, uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Uh, thank you so much. Before we end, is there any final things you want to leave the listeners with? Any final thoughts or anything uh, that you're up to or the charge of our team that we should know of? No, you can find you can find us at www.chargeify.com. Our business is a sticky business in that we're right at the center of the stack with lots of integrations going. If you're looking for billing and subscription management services with the guys to talk to, any takeaways for the listeners? Let me go back to what I said let me go back to what I said previously. Don't fixate on, on tactics, okay? By tactics, let's get everyone into contracts and then we'll leave. Let's make people pay us annually in advance and you know, then we'll have the use of the revenue for a longer period of time. Let's get people to pay large upfront costs so the guts get in the game. They're all good things. They're all strong term mitigation tactics. Call to cancel. No one likes to cancel a, an internet service, right? It's a yeah. churn mitigation, but it's a tactic. Don't get so tied up in the tactics that you lose focus in terms of value creation. More value you create for your customers, the less likely they are churning. And making customers get sign a 60-month contract to come on board and then hate you for the next 59 months, it's not winning. They're going to tell everybody that you signed them up to a 60-month contract and making them stay because you're enforcing it legally. You're going to lose business on the new acquisition side. It's checks and balances. As long as you're, as long as you're delivering value to your customer, then you're on the right path. Not a delivering value is not a tactic. <laughs> delivering value is why we have why we're in business, what we're seeking to get, what your customer wants. Value creation is the greatest way to mitigate churn. Always, everything yeah. else is a tactic. I, I love that. It's uh, like just came to mind. Like the only silver bullet is value. Uh, focus on yes. value and you'll make it well Paul thanks so much for joining it's been great chatting to you today and uh, really appreciate it. wish you best of luck now going forward okay thanks Andrew and that's a wrap for the show today with me Andrew Michael I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business to keep up to date with churn.fm and be notified about new episodes blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you, and you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.